My name is Ben Kempfer. Um, I'm the pastor here, if I didn't say that already, and um, it's, it's good to kind of meet you informally. But I want to introduce you to the newest member of the Kempfer family. That's why we've been gone for a couple weeks. My wife and I had what I think, second to Jesus, is the best baby ever to be born. Um, I am not biased. In fact, I've been told by, by many of you, so if I think that is your fault. Um, so, right? Seriously. Yeah, that's my little girl. I don't have more pictures. I was going to have more pictures, but I didn't want to be like that weirdo. We gave her her first bath today, um, and I, I took like a whole video of it, and I'm like, no, nah, that's going to be real weird, especially when she grows up. She's going to be 16. She's like, remember that time? You know. Anyways, um, so that's my, that's my little girl. I just wanted to show you to her. I want to show her to you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. She'll be here in the next couple weeks. Um, not yet, because as you know, with kids, their immune systems are still developing, and um, yeah, we just don't want her to get sick. So, we're a protective parent. Whatever. So, welcome to Downtown Community Church. We're glad you're here. Hey, one of the things that um, Devin said that we just want to, you know, kind of emphasize a little bit, our entire summer schedule, we're going to be meeting we're gonna, all as one church together at 11 o'clock. What we know happens is we have a lot of you guys that are college students. We love you to death. Um, and when you go home, honestly, we hope that you take what you learned here and you just go and you run with it. You spread the gospel. You tell people about Jesus. Um, and during the summertime, it kind of gives us a second to go to one service, grow some more as a family, grow some more as the body and as a community. So for our entire summertime, um, we're going to be at one, at, at one 11 o'clock service. And um, the other thing is we're doing something real cool this summer. We are doing what's called Summer in the Psalms. Um, and so we're putting together a reading guide and we're just kind of going to allow you to read through the summer, um, through the Psalms all together this summer and once a week on Sunday morning. Whoever speaks the week, I'm going to be speaking some. We're going to have a lot of people, different people coming in and speaking. Um, they're going to speak on something that you read, and so we're kind of going to all travel that. So if you're at home um, and you kind of want to you know, travel along with us through that journey, then you're welcome to uh, grab you know, kind of an online reading guide. We're going to have those available online. At the same time, we do pod- podcast all of our sermons, so you can even, even listen if you didn't get enough of me during the year you know, or whoever's speaking. So um, DCC Tally on iTunes. That's all of the promotion I got today, so we're going to get on with the sermon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for that beautiful little baby girl. God, I pray that as we spend this time together, you would, as you always do, reveal yourself to us through your word. God, ultimately, our lives are just laid down for you. Our lives are a blank check for you, God. Do whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. And I pray that this morning would just be a little something that goes a long way. Us opening ourselves up to you, us opening up our hearts to you, regardless of where we are in our relationship with you. As always, when we gather, God, For those of us who are here and you've been to church a thousand times, God, I pray that this would be fresh and this would be new and this would be real. And for those friends who are here this morning, maybe for the first time ever in church, don't know if you exist, don't know if you're there, don't know if you're real, God, that you would reveal yourself to them this morning. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. All right, so we're doing, we're going to do this this kind of sermon type of thing, the premise once a year. Um, It's going to be the last... Uh, Sunday before finals happen in spring, and we kind of came up with this idea, or I came up with this idea, because if you've heard me speak very often, you maybe have noticed this, and if you haven't noticed this, then you're going to start noticing this, and this might bug you, so I probably ought not tell you, but I'm going to anyways. One of the things I do, I'm trying to, I try to do at least in every sermon, is have basically a bottom line. What's the bottom line? What's the point? What's the main thing? What's the thing I want you to know, to take, to do, to remember? And oftentimes when I'm giving a sermon, I'll say this. If you didn't hear anything else, or if you don't hear anything else, or if you've got everything else going on in the world, if you've got you know, exams and you've got you know, finals and you've got you know, stuff going on at work, if you don't hear anything else I say, this is what I want you to know this 
Sunday. So we thought, how cool would it be if we designed an entire sermon around this idea that for many of you, you might be leaving. This might be, in fact, is this for you? How many of you guys are graduating this upcoming week? We got any graduates happening here? Raise your hand. Be proud. You worked hard for this. Give them a round of applause. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. We know every time we come together that there's people, especially on this weekend, that it might be your last weekend here in town. It might be your last weekend here with us. And so we thought, how cool would it be if we got into a rhythm as a church that on the last Sunday before exams during spring semester, what if we just pause and say, hey, if you don't hear anything else, if you didn't hear anything else this entire semester, if you didn't hear anything else this year, in fact, maybe you're new, maybe this is your first time here, And if you don't hear anything else from our church, this is what we wish that you could remember. If in all the things that we talked about, all the things that we've discussed, all the series that we've done, all the Old Testament, all the New Testament, all the Easter's, all the Christmas, this is the thing that if you don't hear anything else, we want you to hear. Now, we're going to open up to to the book of Matthew. We're going to open it to Matthew chapter 28, and Will talked about a couple of these verses. But we, honestly, we were dissecting some of this stuff in my community group that that I lead on Thursday night. And as we were dissecting some of this and and just really opening up the scriptures, there were a couple things that, to me, all of a sudden just started leaping off the page. Now, let me give you a couple premises behind this. So Jesus, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. If If you're familiar with the Bible, you know there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are what people call the Gospels. So when everybody talks about the Gospels as a, as a writing, what they're talking about is one of these four books that they account, they're the accounts of Jesus' life. Now, in this account of Jesus' life, you know, kind of as described by Matthew, we're at the very tail end of it. In fact, this is, these are the last set of verses in the book of Matthew. So what's happened, what's happened is essentially this, kind of catch you up to date on Christianity. What happened is there was this whole Old Testament, Thousands of years where people would have a relationship with God. And the basis of their relationship with God was how they acted, how they interacted, had somewhat to do with faith, but more so had to do with the temple. And you would go to the temple and you would worship. And you would sometimes mess up, and you would sometimes sin, and you would sometimes do what everybody else does, which is, you know, you just kind of fall short of God's expectation, God's hope. And so what they would have to do is they would have to go and make a sacrifice And hopefully, you know, depending on how big the sin was and how much the sin happened and all those types of things, depended on the severity of the sacrifice that they had to make. But before they could go and worship with a clean heart and purity before God, they would have to make a sacrifice for an atonement or the forgiveness of their sins. Because they had wronged God. They had severed their relationship, and there had to be some type of a payment to be made to bridge that relationship or to pay back to God for the wrong that they had done. And for thousands of years, there was these guys called prophets. And the prophets would come, and the prophets would say, hey, there's going to come this fella. There's going to come this guy. He's going to be a messiah. There's going to come this Messiah. Someday, there's going to come a guy. There's going to come a guy. It was said over hundreds of years. In fact, a few thousand years. It was said in different languages. It was said on different continents, all within the same Jewish realm of thought, all from the nation of Israel, saying, there's going to come a guy. There's going to come a guy. There's going to come a guy. This is when he's going to, not not really when he's going to be born. This is around the time he's going to be born. This is what's going to happen around the time that he's going to be born. This is where he's going to be born. These are the types of things he's going to say. These are the types of things he's going to teach. This is how he's going to die. In fact, hundreds of prophecies to say this. This is how it's going to happen when the Messiah 
shows up. And on top of that, there was tons of imagery. There was tons of imagery that all of the festivals of the Old Testament pointed and gave imagery towards this coming Messiah. And then one day, there's this little baby born. There's this little baby born. There's a guy from Nazareth that was born in a town called Bethlehem as a little baby. And that might not be geographically relevant to us, but this is like, now this is kind of maybe offensive if you're from one of these small towns. This is like if you were God and you were sending your one and only son, you know, you'd send him in the middle of Rome, you'd send him, you know, in New York City in this huge thing would happen and maybe this like comet would strike the earth or something like that would happen. This is like the son of God being born in Wakulla and raised in Perry, you know? The Perry Mud Bog is Jesus' hometown, essentially. In fact, there's one point where some people are talking, and they say, man, have you, have you heard? It's the Messiah, it's the guy, Jesus. And they talk about Jesus of Nazareth. He says, you know, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can, come on, can anything good besides, you know, donuts and the Perry Mud Bog come out of Perry? Let's be honest. But so Jesus would be born, would substantiate the prophets and the prophecies, would substantiate who he was by his miracles. And the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate substantiation was after he died. And when he died, it was to finally make the final sacrifice so that you and I no longer have to spend our lives trying to earn our way to God, trying to be a good enough person. Because the end of the day, the reality of the story is I can't unsend myself. Once I have sinned, I am now a sinner. And I've sinned a lot more than once, if I'm being real honest. I still sin. I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with cyclical patterns and habits of sin that I try to fight every day. But thank God when Jesus came, it was no longer about my efforts, but about what Jesus did, paying the sacrifice regardless of what I do. And when he died, you know what happened? Everybody doubted him. Because no one expected a dead guy to come back from the dead. And then he shows up. And then he shows up. Once to, you know, first to one person, then to a couple people. And then at one point to over 500 people at one time. He shows up, not like as Casper, you know, the friendly Jesus-y ghost, but as flesh and blood. And so what we're going to read this morning is the tail end of that story. This is the last instructions that Jesus gives his disciples. Jesus gives his followers. Jesus gives his people say, hey, you followed me for a few years now. You followed me for about three years, scholars will say at this point. So here's my final charge to you. Here's, if you don't hear anything else, here's what I want you to do with everything that you've heard. And he has a couple details that I think are so significant that it just is exactly where you and I enter into this story. So if you've got your Bible, you can flip over. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now, if you're, if you're a, a churchy folk, then you know the title is called the Great Commission. But I kinda, honestly, I kind of wish you didn't know anything about this because a lot of times it's like, okay, so go therefore and make disciples. But, I mean, it's just, there's so much more to that that we're going to talk about. So verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So at some point Jesus said, hey, I want you to go to this mountain. Probably after he showed back up, maybe just before he died, but probably after he showed back up because he was going to come back. 
Well, so Jesus says, I want you to go to this mountain now. So the 11 go to this place. Now, a couple background information. When Jesus, and they talked about the disciples, oftentimes it was the 11 that were Jesus' closest, but oftentimes there were some more around them. There would be 30 sometimes. Sometimes there would be a couple hundred that would follow Jesus regularly and every day, but those were just the closest 11 that we read about. In fact, oftentimes there would be 500, a few thousand people that would consider themselves Jesus' disciples, that when Jesus went to one place or another place, they would follow him from place to place. And so Jesus, specifically here talking to the 11, but could be a couple you know, dozen, could be a couple hundred, could be up to 500 people, could potentially be listening. Jesus said, okay, come here, listen in. Here's what I got to tell you. And before he tells him, records this detail. And when they saw him, they the disciples, they the 11 specifically, but maybe some more around, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And now, this is why I love the Bible. But some doubted. But some doubted. Now, that's just an interesting detail. Because you would think, if you're kind of making this whole thing up, this whole thing just, you know, oh, gosh, let's just make up a religion. You'd think, you know. And so they worshipped him, and they said, you know, praise be to God. You're here. Oh, my gosh, Jesus. You know, and they would, you know, half the disciples would be on one side and say, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And the other person would say, we love more. We love him. You know, you kind of, if you haven't been to church camp, bless you because you don't know that. <laughs> but it says, hey. So there was the 11. There was the 11, and Jesus came back. And so when all of a sudden that's happening, they're worshiping him. But in the middle of that, some doubted. Now, there's all kinds of scholarly debate about what exactly that means. Some people will say, oh, well, it wasn't the 11 that doubted. It was, you know, the 500. You know, maybe some of them doubted. Some people will say, you know, no, well, it wasn't the 500. It was the 11. But he was not talking about the immediate doubt. He's talking about the doubt that they had before Jesus showed back up. That they doubted at one point, but now they're fully restored. And some people just are honest and say, yeah, maybe they just still doubted. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. Jesus is about to specifically give directions to these 11 people. And his instructions are going to be, you go and you change the world. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. To people who potentially at the time were doubting him. Not all about you. But it's this interesting dichotomy that you read when you read the scriptures. That the apostles, Jesus' closest followers, were not these just perfect human beings. He shows back up and shows back up and shows back up. And it's the last time he's talking to them. And honestly, some of them still probably had some questions going on. Now here's what you might not know. As the Jewish religion switched from what's called temple Judaism to what's now considered kind of a rabbinical Judaism, where there was a rabbi, there was a teacher, there was a dude that people would follow around. And oftentimes, if I was going to be your student and you were going to be my teacher, if you were going to be my rabbi and I was going to be your disciple, I would follow you around for sometimes 10, sometimes 30 Sometimes a ton more. And I would follow you so closely. I'd be with you every single day. I'd see how you acted. I'd see how you interacted. I'd listen to your teachings. Your teachings would become my teachings. They would be so deeply ingrained. And it was the expectation of most disciples that they would spend at least 10 to 30 years with the person until they were instructed, hey, now you go teach. These people had three. 
And here's where we, I think, invade this story. Because if you know the verses that come next, Jesus is about to say, so go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've taught you. And when most of us hear that, if we're being honest, we feel what the disciples probably felt in that moment. That they hadn't learned enough, and at the same time, they still had some questions. That Jesus is looking to this group of people and he knows what he's about to tell them. He knows that this is going to be a banana statement. In fact, let's read the statement together. Verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So here's the implication of that statement. Two, two parts to it. Number one is that it's not saying, you know, oftentimes a church where we think, okay, discipleship. Well, basically what discipleship means is we take someone who already believes in Jesus and take their faith deeper, take their faith further, take them more depth, more width, all those types of things. No, no, no. What Jesus was saying is, hey, I want you to go find people who have no kind of religious belief maybe at all. I want you to go find people who don't believe in me at all, and I want you to teach them my teachings. In fact, I want you to bring them to a place where they put their faith, their hope, their trust in me, and then I want you, once they have faith, to take their faith deeper. And by the way, disciples, I know you don't feel like you know enough. I know that you don't, you know, really feel like you're getting this whole thing and you got some doubts, but I want you to go to the entire world. Pause. We think way differently than they did when they heard that. Think about that. When Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, they didn't have cell phones, They didn't have, like, Twitter so you could look super spiritual on your social media feed and say, like, oh, my gosh, Jesus is my best friend. Look at this, you know, sweet cup of coffee and this sweet Bible verse that I've underlined, like, three times in this cool little quote from Spurgeon that now all of a sudden the world, you know, I've made disciples today. No, here's here's what that meant. A group of people who probably had doubts, probably felt ill-equipped, someone literally had to walk to the ends of the earth. Think about that. Think if there's only 11 people listening. And the Son of God is talking to you. And you have doubts, and you don't feel like you know enough. But it's like you and 10 of your closest friends. And he's saying, hey, I want you to tell the entire world. It's like, Jesus. Let's get some more people first. Let let, let me come on. Let's bring some more people to this party. It's just us 11 right now that you're talking to. Let's bring the 500 back. Jesus, remember that time that we had like 5,000 people and you said something ridiculously challenging and you pissed everybody off and everybody fled? Let's bring that crap back because, Jesus, this is the time. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I know this task seems unbelievable. I know this task seems like a stretch. But I want you, 11, to be responsible for taking this message to the world. To all the nations, which means somebody's got to get on their stinking camel and ride. On their donkey and ride. Someone's going to have to walk to the ends of the earth. Now, here's what I've noticed about us. I think oftentimes the reason that we don't feel, not don't feel, I think oftentimes the reason that we don't share our faith is because we feel ill-equipped, we have doubts, and we're not even sure if we're strong enough to do it. I mean, come on. Think about these 11 who had doubts, 
who were ill-equipped. And Jesus said, go. He said, go. And make disciples. I want you to take people who have no faith. I want you to take people who have questioning faith. I want you to take people who are on the fence about faith. I want you to take people who maybe used to have a faith, but for a season walked away from their faith, and they don't really know if that faith is valid anymore because when a Sunday school theology met a real world, it just didn't seem compatible that a loving God could do X, Y, Z, that suffering could exist in ABC, that based on my personal experience, based on the things that I've seen, based on the the stories that I've heard, based on the studies that I've had, Jesus says, yeah. And I know you don't feel like you know enough, but I still want you to go. Now, he says a qualifying statement just before he says all that that gives so much relief, releases so much pressure from you and pressure from me. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth In other words, I have all the power in the world. And I know this task seems unbelievable. I know this task seems super difficult. I know that you feel ill-equipped. I know that you feel like you don't know enough. I know that you feel like maybe you still have some doubts. But here's what I want you to know. Before I tell you that you're about to do this impossible task, because quite frankly, without God, it was an impossible task. He says, before I tell you what to do, here's what I want you to know. Before I say it, I have all the power. I have all the authority in the entire stinking world. And at the end, I'm going to be with you to the very ends of the age. Now, when I think about sharing my faith based on my own knowledge, terrifying. When I think about sharing my faith based on my own understanding, terrifying. When I think about, I mean, and you might say that sounds weird. It's like, Ben, you're a pastor. Of course, you feel like you know enough. No, no, no. You will never feel like you know enough. There's always going to be someone in your family that thinks they know more, and they, in fact, might know more about spirituality than you do. There might be a roommate that you always have that's just going to be so anti-Christianity, that's going to be so against the teachings of Jesus, that you don't think that there's ever an amount, amount of information that you could know. And to be honest, that's not even what it's all about. I've never seen two people get into a debate, one person make the other person feel so stupid, they're like, oh my gosh, I feel like such an idiot. I want to be a Christian now. That's just not how it works. And if it were up to my gifts and my talents and my ability, I mean, I'm a pretty persuasive guy, to be honest, but at the end of the day, I can't talk someone into salvation. And neither can you. And so Jesus, before he gave this statement, said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go make disciples. Yeah, but before you do that, I want you to know all power and all authority has been given to me. And I am going to be with you. So go. And many of you this summer, maybe you're going to be in town Maybe you're going to be out of town. Some of you, you're probably going to travel abroad. And if you don't hear anything else, I got two things for you, actually. If you don't hear anything else, number one, know that Jesus paid the sacrifice for your sin. And the way to God is not by being a good person. The way to God is is by accepting the sacrifice that was already made for you and simply placing your faith, which means your hope, in placing trust 
and a sacrifice that bridges the gap between you and God. And if you've done that, and here's your one thing, go tell somebody real complex. Go tell somebody. Jesus said, all right, here's, here's, here's your one thing. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the Now, I've got a couple more minutes that I want to kind of give you some nuts and bolts behind this because in my experience... This is like the last morning of camp talk. Anybody ever been to camp before? You don't have to raise your hand. You've been to camp. I've put on camps before. You know, night one, you're breaking down walls. Depending on how long the camp is, by breaking down walls, I mean, people come up like, I hate Jesus. And by the end, they're like, I love Jesus. And so night one, you know, you're breaking down walls. You know, morning two, you give some, you know, good information. You know, the last night of camp, everybody gets saved. And it's just everybody's tired or whatever, you know. And so then the last morning of camp, it's like, so go do something. And, you know, you got your, you know, your super soaker cocked and loaded. Like, I'm going to invade hell with a squirt gun, you know. Let me at my city. You know what I mean? And that's... That's kind of, you know, that's how we leave. So, so, so let, me, let, me, let me kind of be honest. So this, is, this isn't like chapter and verse. This is, I'm going to be honest. This year, this year, and I, I told William Kyle, he and I meet every Friday. This year, an interpersonal conversation, and as a pastor, it's easy to kind of skirt this because of the fact that, you know, I'm a pastor, and I just kind of tell, you know, hundreds of people about Jesus every Sunday morning. This year, in terms of interpersonal conversation, I've shared more of my faith probably more than my entire life combined before this year. And so I want to tell you how I do it. I'm going to give you my secret. It's not really a secret, but you probably think it is because I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be super spiritual. So here's how this works in my life. Because if you don't know much about me, I am a pastor. That's true. But that takes up a little bit of my week. Nine to five, well, like, more like 10 to three right now. Monday through Thursday, I run a meat company. We may register smoke pork. Por- <laughs> I got sniped in the middle of that one. Smoked pork sausage. Buy it at Winn-Dixie, Walmart, Publix probably. And I run a meat company, and that's what I do. And it puts me in some of the most interesting places. I meet such a diversity of people. I talk to the people in Publix, and then I'll go in a random meat market in Weewahitchka. We hire people, most of the people who work for me at our plant, not, well, not now, we kind of go back and forth. There's a point in time when, when we had someone who worked at our plant that didn't have a, a history of criminal, you know, felony records. You were like the outcast. It's like, you haven't even been to jail before. You can't work here. I'm serious. Well, we got all kinds of people that work for it. make um, phenomenal sausage. But, but I want to tell you, in my day-to-day, this year, how I share my faith. There's one thing that I remember. So this is kind of another one thing of all the other one things that we've talked about. So you're going to remember maybe one thing today. Here's the one thing that I think about when I'm sharing my faith. Because oftentimes you come from church, you come from a place, and you feel like, okay, if I'm going to share my faith, here's this pre-packaged, pre-canned idea, pre-wrapped thing, okay, so here's my testimony, here, let me tell you about Jesus, let me tell you about like, this gap between you and between God, and let me tell you how you can bridge that gap. And the person's like, dude, 
I'm watching football right now. Like, I'm not in the middle of that. And you, sometimes, let's be honest, when you think about sharing your faith, what you think about is you think about an awkward, forced conversation that you want to share information that the other person is completely uninterested in. Am I right? Anybody ever felt that before? Like, you walk away from a sermon thinking, okay, I'm going to go back to my job now. I'm going to go to my cubicle, and I'm going to talk to Susie Q in the desk next to me. But Susie Q does not care about faith. We haven't talked twice about faith. And all of a sudden, I feel compelled, and I feel a little bit convicted, and I feel a little bit condemned if I don't. But if I'm being really honest, she really doesn't care. She's really not super interested. I feel like it's a forced conversation, but I feel some type of a spiritual you know, need or necessity to share it. And so how do you share your faith in a way that's not weird, that's not awkward, that's not forced, that's not forcing awkward, untimely information? In fact, when you get back from the, in the fall, we're going to have an entire Saturday class. Maybe not Saturday because that's football season. We're an entire class called a Wednesday class. It just is about how you share your faith. But I want to tell you how I share my faith. And how I share my faith is this. I have one thought going into the entire thing. How can I help this person? How can I help this person to take one step closer to God today? How can I help this person? How can I help my roommate? to take one step closer? How can I help the person in my cubicle to take one step closer? How can I help the person in my math class? How can I help the person in my family to take one step closer to God today? And let me tell you why I think that's such a critical question to ask. Because oftentimes, when you share your faith, it's a selfish sharing of faith. It's not a loving way to share your faith. It's that I feel like I have to do this. I'm not thinking, what's the most loving thing I can do for you? What's the most loving thing I can say to you? What's the most loving action I can do for you? Because let me tell you this. Sometimes for me sharing my faith, I don't share my faith at all. Sometimes the most loving thing that I can do to help my family member come one step closer to God is to not say anything about God at all if they're going through a terrible situation. I have friends that go through divorce. And let me just tell you, in the middle of a divorce, sometimes opportunities come up to share my faith. But sometimes the most loving thing that I can do is to just be there. And spend time with them. And to hang out with them. We have people all across our office, all across our meat company, all across, you know, local meat companies or meat packaging plants, all across little local meat rooms. And if I went into every meat room, I was like, okay, Ben's here. I'm a pastor. Let me just tell you. Here's the spiritual laws real quick. Here's you. Here's God. There's this gap. It's sin. Jesus is the bridge. Let me give my little notepad out and write this whole thing out. And you're always like, oh, my gosh, I was cutting a pork loin, but now I'm saved. <laughs> but let me tell you, number one, number one, the gospel that I present is substantiated by my life, first and foremost. If I tell somebody about Jesus, but they don't see me living like Jesus, then who cares? I tell you what, they're definitely not going to care. Not that you've got to be perfect. But first and foremost, the gospel that I preach is substantiated by the way that I live. At least I try to let it. Second, I do whatever that person needs. For some people, I just ask, hey, you go to church anywhere? Some people ask them, hey, not even do you go to church anywhere? Sometimes I just, are, yeah, you know, are you a church-going person? Some people say, yeah, I go to this place. Okay, good. You shouldn't go there because that's weird. Just playing. 
Some that say, ah, I'm looking to get back into it. Opens up a conversation. Sometimes they're going through something. And they just simply ask you to pray for them. And you pray for them. And then after you pray for them, you come back and say, hey, I prayed for you. How's it going? You see, as what many of you can probably tell with your faith journey is oftentimes it wasn't one conversation that someone had that a stranger walked up and they said, and they regurgitated this amount of spiritual information. It was someone who saw Jesus, who knew Jesus, who developed a relationship with you, who as they were going in their life thought today, how can I help one person to get closer to God today, or maybe a lot of people closer to God today, and they saw you, they developed a relationship with you, something in their life made you want to be like them, made you see them, made you think, I like what that person has, I'd like to have it. Maybe they have a peace, maybe they have a passion, maybe they have a purpose. Maybe they just seem like they have their life more together than I do. My entire life's falling apart. Maybe I have my entire life together, but I still like what they have. And they developed a relationship with you. And they shared their life with you. And for me, when I talk about God, it's not weird, it's not awkward, it's not forced, to be honest. It's just who I am. And I don't say, hey, let me tell you. In fact, it's kind of, I don't know if it's good or bad or what. I have people that come to me that says, you know, I thought you were going to tell me about Jesus sooner. Because you're like a pastor. I thought you were going to like slip me Bibles under the table and say like, you know, highlight verses and say, come on, read, read, read. I'm like, I'd rather talk to you and give you a Bible. So here's, here's what I want you to go. Here's what I want you to do. However this applies to you, however this applies to you, as you go, if I had one prayer for you to do for the rest of the summer, once you know Jesus, once your relationship with Jesus is growing, this is the one thing I wish you would do every single day for the rest of your life. Simply say, how can I help you, whoever the you is in your life, your neighbors, your friends, your roommates, your classmates, your husband, your wife, your kids, how can I help you to take one step further? And for me, sometimes that means I share my testimony. For me, sometimes that means I invite someone to church. For me, sometimes I just pray for someone. For me, sometimes I just befriend someone. For me, sometimes it's a whole lot of different things. For me, sometimes so people are so anti-God, and they sit there saying, this is the reason I don't like God, this is the reason I don't like church. And I'm sitting there saying, man, what's funny is that that's what God thinks too. I hate hypocrites. I hate this. I hate that. And it's like, man, it's funny you say that. Jesus isn't a fan of hypocrites. In fact, you're a lot more like Jesus than maybe you think you are and how you think. But whatever that's like for you, the one thing, the one thing, the one thing I want you to take seriously is that it is your job, it is your responsibility. In fact, beyond all of that, you have been given the gift of the ministry of reconciliation from a lost, a hurting, and a broken world to a holy God who sustains all things It makes all things whole. It makes all things pure. And you've been given the stewardship of this message. So go and make disciples every day of people who don't know Jesus and people who do know Jesus. Though you might have questions and you might even have some doubts and you might not feel like you know enough, you just simply ask the question every morning that you get up, How can I help someone 
take one step closer today. And if every, I mean, come on, if every day every person did that, we would have an entirely different city. As people invested, people cared, and people loved. That's how I share my faith. And I would love it if you did the same.